You're listening to the Master Photography Podcast. Welcome to the Master Photography Roundtable, part of the Master Photography Podcast Network. You are joined by thousands of photographers listening to the show who are all on the same journey to master their photography. I'm Jeff Harmon, the host for this episode. I'm joined by my buddy, Connor Hibbs. Today, Connor, how are you, my friend? I'm doing so well, man. I, I have missed being on the show, so I am glad to be here with you. Excellent. I know people are really excited to hear from you. Like I posted, <laughs> let's see, what was it? I, I tagged you on a uh, something in the Facebook group, and someone commented like, Connor's alive! Connor's alive! <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, uh, I, I sure have been rather MIA. Um as of recent, but. but but good reason going to school, doing the hard stuff. It's good. Yeah, definitely. So G- yeah. getting through. Yeah, That's getting exciting. through. Also, very busy with business. Like yeah. I, I actually had my busiest month. Um, wow. A- ever last month, and it's still like my slow season. So um, between school and that, yeah, I've just been um, burning the candle at both ends. We can say. Well, we're glad we could steal you away for about an hour and and talk about this. That's great. Yeah. Let me be the first to wish you happy Adobe Lightroom Update Day. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> You've never been wished happy Adobe Lightroom Update Day before. No, right? I have not, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so as we record this episode, um, Adobe has an uh, an update to Lightroom that they've released. Um, yeah. So, yeah, you know, I'm going to talk more about this on my podcast, my Photo Taco podcast. So that we can, I can nerd out and geek out about what exactly this is. Two kind of minor change or two changes I want to profile here just super quickly because we're going to get to a whole different topic. And we're not going to talk about this again. But um, there's two, two things. The first is there's a, a name change, which we needed. <laughs> because yeah. It's been so confusing. <laughs> um, they called it, you know, when they, when they made the change, so they had two versions of the software. The brand new, like rewritten version that's a whole lot more like mobile, that version they called Lightroom CC. And then the one that we'd been using for more than a decade, they named Lightroom Classic CC. So the the, the names both had CC in it. It was kind of confusing. Yeah. Well, I don't know that they're eliminating total confusion because really all they did is take the CC out of both of them. So the one is called Lightroom. That's the new version. That's the <laughs> mobile-ish kind of thing. And the other one's just Lightroom Classic. So they dropped the CC from the names. Um, I don't know. That's going to help a whole lot. But at least we don't have to say... It's the CC part anymore, I guess. <laughs> the the really important change, though, and this is one that I'm actually truly excited about. There's a brand new slider that's coming that's in the in this latest release. And since I've been in the beta program, I've been testing it for a few months, and it is awesome. It is really really cool. And that uh, they call it the texture slider. That they were going to call it something else different before that, but um, they they ended up calling it texture. And it's it's going to be tough to kind of understand or or describe in audio. And so I'm not, and I'm not going to try here really, but essentially let's just say that it is, it's really helpful for skin smoothing that doesn't make you look plasticky. Kind of like, I guess the, the way I describe it in the 10 seconds I've got here, it's sort of like frequency separation that you do in Photoshop, but in a slider in Lightroom. So kind of, 
<laughs> Interesting. I, I now need to go and look up videos on exactly what this looks like because and, Connor is feeling skeptical. Yes. And uh, I mean, it, it's cool. It's, of course, not the full thing. Obviously, they, they can't reduce frequency separation down to a slider. But... <laughs> But as much as that's possible, it's there yeah. and, and kind of can do the opposite too. Like if you if you want to do the opposite of frequency separation, well, I, I guess it's still se- separation, but it's not to to de-emphasize the edges. It's to emphasize edges. You can go the other way too. So the slider goes back, you know, minus and positive. Um, it's also in all the filters and stuff too. So it's not just global. You can target it, and uh, it's it's really cool. It it does a really good job. It's definitely frequency separation light for sure, but it's cool. Yeah. I like it. It, it gives you so, another thing to play with. So in the increasing side, is it almost like, um, it, do, do you know what, like if you over sharpen just a little bit, how yeah. it kind of just brings out the edges a bit more. Right. Okay. Um, so and that's a, like kind of a gritty look that a lot of people go for. Is it kind of like that? Sort of. So uh, the, the slider itself, I'd position it kind of somewhere in between clarity and sharpening. Okay. So, so kind of between those two extremes, it targets. It, they're trying very hard to target the the mid frequencies. As you do frequency yeah. separation, there's high frequency, there's low frequency. This is trying to target the mid frequencies and just play with those. So the example they have on their blog, and I'm going to go into this way more depth in Photo Taco, um, is like a, a landscape where you might have a, a hill that's a, a bit away from you and it has some shrubs on it, and you can use this slider to bring out the details in that shrub without bringing out the noise that might be around it um, and and make it more pronounced, the shrubbery. So, gotcha. If you increase Interesting. It. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. It's a very cool slider. Everyone should be excited about it, but I'll, I will give my standard <laughs> disclaimer here. If you rely on Lightroom and Photoshop for your business, you have no business updating yet. Don't do it. <laughs> as as cool as this slider may sound, if you can't afford any disruption to your business, don't update yet. I think because I've been in the beta testing, this is really the first uh, release where I've been a beta tester. I don't anticipate we're going to have a lot of problems because there weren't a whole lot of like performance-related issues or problems with the software that came out of this feature being added or any of the other stuff that changed. But you never know until it goes to a massive (laughs) wide audience like, you know, the world, um, you don't know. So stay away, even though you might be tempted to get the new slider, stay away uh, for at least a couple weeks. And and we'll we'll be sure to let you know on the podcast if it looks like um, the world seems to be okay with this Um, because it's happened before. You have a release and and Adobe sure thought that everything was going to be great. And then it released and there were problems. So yeah, enough people had their hands on it to find right. Right. Lots of, you know, there's just so many variables out there. It's, it's hard. Your beta testing group is tiny, tiny compared to the world and, and uh, they can't plan for everything as much as you try. So, okay, that's it. That's all. I just wanted to mention it. I didn't want to spend any more time on that. Uh, Look for a photo talk episode on it. Maybe we'll talk more about it on here on the podcast too. But today, what I really want to get to and what I'm excited for is, I don't think we've done a a podcast on this yet either on headshots. Have we? I don't think maybe, but it's been a long time. If we have, I can't remember having this as a subject, especially not in the way that we're approaching it today. Yeah. So we're we're today, we're going to try to offer some very practical tips for any of you listeners out there that just kind of want to get into this 
genre of photography, the headshot world. And there's a world <laughs> yes. of headshots. And Connor's got tons of experience, right, Connor? You, you've done a lot of corporate headshot work. Oh, yeah, definitely. So it's, it's honestly become probably the majority of my business any, anymore. I, I do a lot of headshot work. Okay, so, so we're going to walk through and, and I want to make sure as we do this, to me, the, the biggest value we can bring as educators about this is the thought processes that go through our heads as we're working with this. You, you encounter so many unique situations and every environment is so drastically different that specific settings may not work where you're going to go or specific flash power or whatever we're going to talk about. It's going to be, you, you need to have the ability to go through thought processes so that you can make the best out of whatever situation presents itself when you get there to do the, to do the shoot. So that's what I want to make sure we do. I'm, I'm going to try really hard to steer towards, okay, explain what you're thinking there, Connor, as you, we do this yes, and, please. and as you share stuff. Um, so the, the reason we, we thought to do this episode today comes from our Facebook group, which if you're not a member of the Facebook group yet, I know a lot of people hate Facebook and, and it's, deserving the hate in a lot of places, <laughs> but there's just such a easy way to have the community that we want to have on Facebook. So if you do it only for the group, then that would be great. Um, you have to ask to join the group. We, we want to make sure we do everything we can to keep the group limited to listeners. We don't want people that are going to be like advertisers or bots or spammers that are going to be in there. If we see evidence of that, we kick them out. So um, you have to answer a question. It's super easy, but I still see every day when I go in there to approve people that get out of the group and there's usually a lot every single day. Yeah. Um, most of them, the the I'd say majority still are not answering the question of who's a host on the show. And so I have to not allow them in because we want listeners. So it's a simple question. You just have to name a host of the show. It doesn't have to be spelled right, but <laughs> but it has to be the Even name Even if it sounds host. vaguely right, yeah. I think that we would give it to you. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So Connor will work. Jeff will work. Any of the other hosts that you've listened to or even, even guests. If guests have come on or I've, I still see uh, frequently Lord Page as a, as a name there. And that's great. That works. <laughs> it probably Always a good one to put in. Yeah. <laughs> kills Nick every time it's said, but it's funny. And um, anyway, so I'd love to have you join the group. And our, our whole episode came from that group today. So we, we had a question that came in from Shannon Frank. She's a pretty new member to the group. She, I, I, she may be a new listener. I don't know. But I know she only joined the group a little bit ago. And she says, I have my first headshot session Monday in the office of an insurance agency. They know I'm new to formal headshots, but I still want to be successful. I have a Nikon D850, a Nikon 24-70, and a Nikon 70-200. I have an SB700 flash, as well as a stand I can put it on for off-camera, a cheap remote trigger, and a cheap white umbrella I can use to diffuse. Any tips on setup so I have my best chance of success? I've been watching videos online and they all have different options. So the, the, the idea about this, Connor, is you don't get the world of whatever you're using for your gear. Yeah. You, you're constrained to her question. You only have the equipment that she listed there. And we saw, I saw a whole bunch of answers in the Facebook group. People that were trying to help and, and they're great. They're, they're, their advice was good. 
the problem was almost all of them were saying, you got to get more gear. You got to go get more gear. There's more yeah. stuff you need, which may improve the results for sure. But I want to give practical advice <laughs> starting here, at least maybe towards the end. If we have time, we'll, we'll talk about what more you would go add to. But yeah, but I want to I want to constrain the discussion to that situation, because this is probably what a lot of beginning or, or people who are just starting in the headshots. This may be where they're at. And yeah. Yeah, we want to talk through that. Yeah, honestly, I, I want to say just starting out. Really, this is this is all I think a person needs. Sure. This is not something where I think that all right, maybe you could probably get away with it. I guess, like I, I honestly think, as long as you have one light and an umbrella, you can start making some really good looking stuff. And a lot of people, when they think they're interested in getting into flash work, they think that they need to start buying three and four lights so they can do that stuff. And and really, I think that having this kind of constraint is almost helpful in a way because it really makes you learn how to use the kind of gear that you do have. Right. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And, and I, I love it that there's so much possible with very little gear. Yeah. She's got actually quite a bit of gear here. That's really good. So, yeah. <laughs> so you, you, as a starting point, this is a really good starting point. Um, yeah. But let, let's go through it. So the first decision, the very first one that I think we need to talk through is the lens choice. She has two lenses mm-hmm. and it's a full frame camera here. So which of the two is she has the Nikon 24 to 70 Nikon 70 to 200. Both are F 2.8. So really fast, high quality lenses. Which one do you choose? Now, if it's me, uh, I think that my opinion is going to be different than a lot of people. <laughs> I know a lot of people for headshots like having longer lenses. I personally love a 24 to 70. That's what I shoot most of my portrait work with and most of my headshot work. I, I typically somewhere between 50 and 70 millimeters on that. Um, I, I, I like it just partially because I love that lens. Uh-huh. I love working with it. Um, but it also helps oftentimes with headshots. You're going onto location somewhere else and it's not a studio. They don't have tons and tons of room for you to work with and having something that is a little less long allows you to work within those tighter, more confined spaces a bit better. Right. So that was my choice too. the people in the Facebook group or most of them were recommending the 70 to 200, but doesn't surprise me, but all of them, I think we're saying it's 70, that's 70 millimeters. And, um, and I would opt myself for the 24 to 72, just to have that little bit of flexibility. Like you said, you, you're, you may not have a ton of space to get back from them. And if yeah. 7,200, yeah, it might, you might be able to get more compression at a longer focal length and have things look uh, more appealing, I guess, bring the, the best <laughs> out of them. But because of the distance question, I that I would opt for the twenty four seventy. You can make it so that even that twenty four millimeters, it's not going to look super weird. With yeah, the you just got to pay attention to your edges at that. Point. Yeah, yeah. But I, and I, honestly, I. I am willing to fight anybody that says that 200 <laughs> millimeters looks better than a 50 or 70. I, I honestly, I like the look of it more. Yeah. Um, it really does come down to personal opinion. And yes, you would get more compression to me. I think more compression makes people look boxy and odd. Um, so I, I think that argument is, is honestly up for debate, sure. um, but traditional wisdom would push you towards the, the 70 to 200. So I don't, it doesn't surprise me at all that a lot of people um, tend to prefer that because if you're being pushed that way and learning that way, you're going to end up having an eye that prefers that look. Right. 
Right. Okay. So, I mean, the two of us would recommend a 20 or 70, but it's going to be a little bit up to personal preference yeah. on how it is and, and your environment. If you, if you show up to the shoot and they put you in this little tiny room, then you, you're not gonna have a choice. You, you can't go 70 to 200. You're going to have to go a, a smaller focal length. So, yeah, totally. so maybe bringing both in case, if you do prefer the look of the 70 to 200, if they put you in this little place then you might have to go for the 24 to 70. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so. so now that that let's we're gonna assume twenty four to seventy. We're gonna go down that. All right, now that so we've decided on that. Now we need to get to the lighting, and I want to start with not the gear first. I want to start with the space. Now she didn't say she probably didn't know. I think this was before she went on the shoot, so she probably didn't know what the space was gonna look like exactly. So we don't have a constraint yet, but. If you're if you were in that situation, you walk into the, I think it was an insurance place. They're they're doing insurance stuff, yeah. Um, and and they're saying, you know, we don't know where to put you. <laughs> you know, look around. What do you want to do? How are you going to choose a space? What is it you're looking for, Connor? As you go into this building, um, so that you can say, you know what, this space right here will will work really well. What are you looking for? Now, now, I think that in general, talking about her situation versus my situation, it's going to change a little bit. Okay. For me, I'm almost always bringing in a backdrop. Usually, I'll just bring a little um, – it's one of those pop-up backdrops that are similar to a five-in-one but just a bit bigger. Um, so, I, I'm looking for a space that I am going to be out of somebody's way and have a footprint that's large enough to set up a pop-up backdrop. Um, but in the case that we're, we're not adding any gear, anything like that, what – I think she should be looking for is either windows that have a great ambient exterior that she could possibly look at. You have, you have a little bit of worries with flash there. Um, but if you're far enough away with the flash and you angle it right, you, you wouldn't have too much of a problem. Uh-huh. Or I would look for a space that has just a nice clean wall. So maybe a white wall. Um, white can actually be a little bit tricky with one light because it'll end up being kind of an off gray right, or right. having shadows on it. Um, so I, I would, Look for a space that just has a clean wall that's at least, I don't know, uh, five to seven feet wide. You don't need a ton of space. Uh, And just keep in mind that, you know, darker colors are going to have certain associations with them than lighter colors. And think about how that's going to look in your photo. Um, So I would tend to lean towards lighter colors unless you're specifically working for a company that is stern and dark. But darker walls are going to be a little more rare anyway. Okay, what about the depth of the room? How far back do you need to make sure you've got clearance? Ooh, um, I would. I try to find a room that's at least a, a, an office size. So you don't need a ton of space, really. Um, I would say if I had 10 feet of room to be able to back up because I'm shooting with that 24 to 70, that's right. usually plenty for me. Um, I've worked in tighter spaces. I've had a lot more room, um, but that's, that's usually generally what I'm looking for is a room that's at least 10 by 10. And okay. And y- you mentioned the wall that's kind of plain. So looking for things like fire alarm things, you know, <laughs> yeah, or uh, outlets Clean or walls, light yes. switches or stuff like that, that of course you can try to take care of in post, but the more you can get rid of it before you even shoot, that's, that's going to be better. You don't have to worry about trying to clone stuff out. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah. Okay. And, and position wise, so we talked about the depth being, you know, 10 ish feet. You're going to have, are you at the edge of that 10 feet? And then you're going to put the subject, the model, uh, of only a few feet away from you and get them as far away from the background as you can. 
It, it, again, it kind of depends on what I'm looking for in terms of the the background. Um, so if I want if I want to be shooting against a white wall, I probably want as much light hitting that wall as possible to keep it lighter in tone. And so I would probably have the subject within a foot or two of that wall. Okay. Um, if if I'm going for something that's maybe a mid-tone in color, then I would probably pull them to the middle of the room and have me up against the wall. Um, so so I, I like to have a little bit of room to back up in case I need to. Um, but generally, I would say just average rule of thumb i'd probably just place them dead center in the room and see how that looks and start from Um, there okay yeah and adjust all right very good okay um now let's get to the actual gear that's there you have a single flash she said it can be diffused by a shoot through umbrella and we could put on a light stand so with that that gear that's all you have how are you going to use it all right so the way that I shoot headshots, I honestly use, I'll use two lights um, to add a hair light onto a lot of things. Right. But honestly, a lot of what I do is with one light. Um, the biggest problem here is that because we're not trying to add extra gear into the mix, oftentimes I will do one light that's a bit off axis and then have a stand holding a reflector on the other side. So I'm assuming that she has one stand that can't, right. n- not a second that she can hold a reflector with. And in that instance, I would say if she's going for a flash light look she's probably going to be perfectly fine she'll have to be just a little bit off from the subject's 12 o'clock because you need to have the stand out of the way but you want to have it as close to that person's 12 o'clock as possible just so you're not creating shadows on the far side of the face uh-huh. that aren't filled in with anything because those shadows will end up being really dark looking okay um so it, Right around maybe a person's 1230. So the stands just a little bit outside of the range where they are and positioned up above their eye level. So I like to have the center of my modifier. Um, I, I like to have my modifier kind of pointing downwards towards the subject in the center of that modifier uh, around six inches to a foot higher than eye level. Okay. Good. And so that and positioning the light there six inches above the eye level is going to help with. The shadows on the face, make sure that they're not extreme, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. the shadow on the wall. Yeah, right? definitely so. And on top of that, it, it'll it'll help to reduce reflection for anybody that's wearing glasses as well. Um, you, you might still have to maneuver around to avoid it just a little bit, um, but you it should be high enough that you're not getting crazy amounts of glare in the glasses. Okay. And before we... I know we didn't want to add any gear yet, so that's the setup with what she had. Yeah. But you mentioned the reflector. If yes. if and they're they're really inexpensive. So if they <laughs> if she had the reflector and and the one light, would you keep the light in the same position you just described? Or would no, you change I, it? I would I would put it a little bit more off axis than that. So I'd probably put it around their one o'clock to one thirty rather than their twelve thirty. Um that's if they have another stand and a reflector. Um, that you can really fill in on the other side of the face so the shadows don't get too dark. The the other option here is, yes, reflectors are cheap, but I want to imagine a situation where a person's either in a last-minute scenario, right. like, I got to go today, right. I can't I can't get a five-in-one, or somebody that says, no, I really have, I have zero dollars that I can spend right, right. on my budget. And I say, okay, 
Zero dollars, maybe not, but could you maybe scrounge up some change and go and buy a poster board? Because right. you can go to Target or somewhere else and get a white poster board and use that as a reflector for this twelve or this twelve thirty, just barely off axis kind of flat light. And you can use that reflector underneath them. You can hold it without having a stand and take pictures fairly comfortably and fill in the shadows underneath the chin a little bit more, and that'll give a kind of it, it's similar to a clamshell look that you would have. Maybe um, maybe take turns those shadows a bit more. T- take turns with like the people that are waiting to be shot next. Have, yeah, have potentially so. I mean, I've, and- I've honestly this may sound really dumb, but I don't know that I've ever done that. Had someone else <laughs> that's just waiting to have their photo taken, holding the reflector for me. I'll just hold it out at arm's oh, length and, and just shoot at a length that I can avoid having my arm in there, but also frame them well and getting your ab workout at the same time. Yeah, totally. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Okay. All right. So, so that's good. Uh, I think that describes then kind of the lighting and and the thing that I would make sure if it, as I thought through it and the mistake that I know I made as I did, I haven't done corporate headshots, but I've done a lot of individuals. Um, My setups, I I had problems with shadows early on. Yeah. Because I didn't think about it like at all. I didn't even, it wasn't something I was noticing. I was worried about how the person looked and how the shadows on their face looked I didn't even pay attention when I was first doing it at the shadow on the wall until I was post-processing. I'm like, oh, that's not good. <laughs> I don't want the shadow on the wall. I'd rather not have that. Yeah, there. it's so distracting to have it there. And of course, in any professional corporate headshot you look at, there's no shadow on the wall. That's just it's not yeah. part of what is there. That's that's the makeup of a good headshot is there's no shadows. So paying really just making sure you notice that. And try to get rid of it. Again, the height of the light is probably... And, and if it's still showing up, you have the, the light at about six inches above, then maybe you need to move the, the subject forward, like away from the wall a little bit more so that, that shadow can fall on the ground and not on the wall. Because the shadow is going to be there. It's just try to get it off the wall. Uh, well, or, or another possibility is that if it's technically six inches to a foot above the person's eye level and you're still getting light uh, shadow on the wall, your light actually might be too far away Ah. from, from the subject. So something that I didn't really mention was how close that light is to the person. And I I would want it fairly close. Um, The further away you get it at that same height, that's six inches to a foot above eye level, um, the, the narrower, the angle of, well, I guess your triangle from, where the light is to where your subject is to where the wall is the narrow that angle is and you you want to make sure that that light is casting in a downward direction so you should if you have your light positioned properly even with your subject right up against the wall you shouldn't necessarily see that shadow okay um Unless I'm talking, unless you're literally having them lean against the wall. That's (laughs) the only (laughs) exception to that. And then it won't matter as much if they're leaning against the wall. Yeah, then then that's that's normal to have a shadow (laughs) against a person. I don't know that there's any way to really avoid that if they're leaning against a wall. Okay. All right. Good, good point. Having it. So as close as you can get it without being in the frame, is that kind of the suggestion you'd have? That's that's my rule of thumb. I, I've definitely had people tell me that I put lights really close <laughs> to their face compared to other photographers that they've worked with. This is more models and stuff. But yeah, I, I say as close as you can get it without having it in frame or without having it even in important parts of the frame. So right, sometimes right. I will still get my light modifier in the frame and just um, Photoshop it out later. But yeah, that's or, probably not. Or best maybe practices. cropping after you take the shot when you're when you're processing, you're cropping in. 
Yeah, it, it, for me, it's more like a content-aware fill, but yes, oh, okay. that, right. that is an option. All right, very good. Okay, uh, the other benefit to having it really close is the, the power of the flash won't have to be as high, right? Definitely not, which so, is a serious consideration when you're talking about battery power. Absolutely, units. and if you have a lot of shots you got to make, then having that, that flash cycle faster is, is important. Definitely. Good thing. So. All right, let's move on to camera settings. Kind of talked about the room and the lighting now. Now let's talk about the settings. She has the benefit, and, and I think a lot of people who are starting out wouldn't have this luxury, but <laughs> she has a Nikon D850. Um, yeah. A, incredible camera. I, I know lots and lots of people would argue it's like the best full-frame DSLR that's ever been made, um, and it's it's a very, very good camera. So she has a ton of camera to work with here. Um, I don't know if that's going to enter the equation, but... How would you suggest you start off with camera settings and flash power, knowing that it's going to be different in every environment? Like even if yeah. you come back a day later, the the outside sunshine coming in through the building might be different enough that it's going to change what settings you use. So, so we know we're not going to necessarily nail it on the first try, but I want that's and that's why I want to talk about again the thought process. What thought are you putting into this? How are you deciding what to change and why? So tell me how you'd start off and then how you go through getting to the right exposure. Yeah, absolutely. So so the good news here is actually in terms of situational changes that are going to change with your settings, um, because this is essentially studio work, we're actually in a realm where you have a pretty good chance of hitting it on the head the first try okay, with good. the settings I'm about to talk about. And I, I generally, my rule of thumb when I start in a room is that I start with my ISO at 100 to 200, somewhere in there, um, with one two hundredth of a second shutter speed around F8. Now, I, I generally will say one one twenty fifth of a, a second, and that's because cameras have their max sync speed, which is the speed that the shutter opens up and starts closing again before the flash fires. So you get a black bar at the bottom that, where the flash didn't light the frame. So most Almost every modern camera is going to have a sync speed that is faster than one one twenty fifth of a second. I know for a fact that the D eight fifty is one two fiftieth. So I'm saying to be safe, set it to one two hundredth of a second, and you're good there. Okay. The reason that I'm setting my my camera this way is because I want to cut out as much of the ambient light as is possible, um, because I don't want that light changing the way that the subject looks. I don't want. Um, if if the sun comes out from behind a cloud from one person I'm shooting and uh, between when one person I just shot leaves and when the next person comes in, the sun comes out, that's going to change the right. light in the room that I'm in. That's going to change the look of the shot if I'm shooting with ambient light. So I want to cut it, cut down as much of that ambient light as possible for the sake of consistency across the board. Then all you the only light you're really seeing in the image is your light, the light that you have created, the artificial light from your flash okay so pretty much i'm going to set my settings there take a shot and make sure that the frame is mostly black i don't care about it being completely black black if i have a little tiny bit of contamination it's not going to make that much of a difference Um, but i want to make sure that for the most part you're not going to notice any of the color temperature of different lights or any of the other ambient light that's going on in there and i'm taking that shot without the flash being turned on at all i just want to make sure that i'm getting my ambient exposure for the room set right and i don't know if you mentioned aperture so what aperture would you start with oh did i not uh, i usually start around f8 that just okay. that's because i know that f8 
I know with those settings that that's pretty much any room that you walk into is going to be just about black uh-huh. um, shooting there with with a speed light. You might be that might be a little bit too much light stopping power because that's going to increase your battery right. usage. So, I, you know, somewhere F5, 6, F8, somewhere in there, I would just take a shot, see how it looks, adjust my flash and then maybe go back if I have time to to readjust to to consider battery drainage. OK, so. ISO maybe 200 start. Um, with? I, yeah, I would say 200 on an Nikon because I believe that that's the, the least noisy ISO okay. on Nikons versus a Canon. I would say 100. Okay. So between 100, 200 ISO one, 200th of a second and F8 as a kind of generic starting point when you're going to go yeah. on any corporate, no matter the environment indoors, at least indoors. Yeah. Indoors. Start with, start <laughs> Specifically indoors. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And, and that's good. Now, now the thought process of where to go from there, I think is really, really important. So if, if you take the shot and let's say, uh, let's say you take the shot and I I guess it's, yeah, it's, it's totally dark. Yeah. But because we may want to make sure we conserve as much flash battery as possible and they, the flash doesn't have to be at full power. Would you try to find where does light start to come into the frame and, and maybe reduce your aperture next? Um, yeah, you, you could totally do that. Um, honestly, for me, I would probably start by seeing where the flash is sitting, seeing what a good okay. looking exposure from the flash looks like and see what power level I'm at. If if I'm towards the bottom end of, of the spectrum, then yeah, I might o- open up a bit more. If it's if I'm firing one over one in order to make those settings look good, then absolutely I'm going to see exactly where my threshold is. But uh, the, f- the first thing that I would do is bring in a flash and just see what what kind of power settings that I am sitting with for the kind of exposure that I want. All right. So before changing any of those settings on your camera, you're going to turn on the flash. What power are you going to put the flash at to start with? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> whatever it happened to be said at the last time that yeah, I was I shooting <laughs> uh, and I'll just see, okay, I'll, I'll then take a shot there and see, okay, is this light, dark, whatever. This is an instance where it can be really nice to have somebody who's willing to be patient with you to right. sit there. Or if you have a tripod and a timer where you can just, uh, that, that's the way that I set up most of my headshots is I'll set my camera on a tripod and, um, set the timer for 10 seconds and run over, hop in the frame and just see where my light's sitting. Uh And if it looks bright, then I'll turn down the power. And if it looks dark, then I'll turn up the power and I'll adjust my flash to get it to roughly where it looks good um, next with these shots. So this is not with your first client waiting in line. All of this should definitely (laughs) be done with a little bit of um, thought into, I'm going to have to take a few minutes to get everything set. And yeah, and you could even ask before you could prep the people beforehand saying, it would really help if if there's like a administrative assistant or somebody around that could be a model for me while I get my settings set up before we get people coming, then, then that would help. Um, yeah. Then you could try to help do that. I, so when I go to do it, I, I like just doing one eighth power on the flash just because it's a pretty low setting. I usually, I usually lower it from there. Yeah. Um, but then, then it's kind of like, sort of like, my goal is to make it that one eighth is what I, I'm shooting. I don't want to go above that just yeah. for the flash recycle time. So I like setting it there as a starting point and, and then can adjust the power hopefully down from there yeah. so that I'm not having to, to add a lot of light um, in there. 
Uh, okay, so but let's 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 assume a really worst case scenario, and you, I don't know, maybe this wouldn't actually happen. I I, I don't think I have where you you've got you're out of flash power. You've got a one over one, yeah, and it's not bright enough. Does then that ever happen? <laughs> in general, your the settings that I gave you before, yeah, ISO one hundred one two hundredth of a second at f eight. That's usually going to be a pretty dark room. Yeah, um, I I would be perfectly comfortable to open up. I I would actually probably bump my ISO. I like shooting around f five six f eight somewhere in there because um, I can shoot quickly, and we all know I'm a little bit sloppy, and I don't have to worry about missing focus so much when I'm at that f five six f eight area. Um, but I'm, I might bump my ISO a little bit and see where the limit of what when the room is actually the ambient light in the room is starting to contaminate the situation. Another situation to to consider here is, well, I probably actually wouldn't do this when shooting with a speed light. I I do this when shooting with strobes because I have a modeling light, but there are times when you can turn off the lights in the room Uh um, to give yourself a little more latitude if you really needed it. Right. And just have window light in there. Um, but but you could you could bump your ISO a little bit, open up your aperture, just see where the the limit is, and see how much extra light you really need to get that exposure right. I think that you're you're not going to run into that situation all too frequently. It's it's pretty uncommon that that becomes a problem that you're at one over one power and it's still not bright enough. If you're doing that, I would honestly think that there's probably something else wrong. Either right, your light's right. too far away. Or you have your settings messed up or something like that. You might have your shutter speed. You set it to one two hundredth of a second and then you bumped it and it's actually way higher than that now. Yeah. Um, and so you're not getting any flash in there. So, of course, it's going to be dark. That's kind of my thought process at that point. If I was at one over one and it's still not bright enough, there's something else wrong there. So starting in F8, maybe bump ISO first, go to 200, 400, 800, something like that. Yeah, I'd push it up to about 800, then start playing around with my f-stop. Right, and then then Um, if you run into the ceiling there at 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 ISO 800, then uh, then start opening up the aperture and maybe limit that to 5.6. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say. And then I mean, and I've I've definitely done corporate headshots that were shot at 2.8, and they still look great. It's just you have to. um, I have to be better about. not being so sloppy in my focusing and recomposition. Uh-huh. Okay. Very good. All right. Now let's talk about some of the, the non gear setup. We've talked about the room and the lighting and the camera settings, which are all super important. Now you're ready to actually take some shots. You're actually ready to bring people in and start taking the corporate headshots that they're asking for. And this was a, an area where the Facebook group was really helpful. There was a lot of people saying, well, you know, the actual technical parts is like the least of the worries. <laughs> yeah, because once you get it set, you're good for the day. Yeah, you're you, good for the day, you and and it's you can still have the shot, the shoot completely go get ruined or or not go well if you don't do a good job with the people. Yeah, right. So I want you to describe kind of how you make it so that these people, most of these people, are probably. From the get go, like the the moment they were notified that someone was coming to take their headshots, they got nervous. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, "Oh, I hate this. This is so terrible. I I do not look good in photos." Period. You know, that's the reaction of a lot of people. Most people feel that way. So right yeah. from the get go, before they're even coming up to get the picture taken, they're almost dreading this. Probably, 
So you got to get over that, right? We have somehow we have to help these people to be kind of excited (laughs) to go get their photo taken um, so that they can have a a good looking professional photo that's going to convey the the company the way that they want. Yeah. If if not excited, at least fine (laughs) with being there. Yes. Accepting that they're going to do it. I want. Okay. So first I want to start with, do you do anything to track the people that have been shot? Are you doing like a, a sign up sheet or do they do the companies set up some sort of a schedule of who's when or how do you organize the shoot that way? Yeah. So, so this is definitely something that I could talk about at length. Um, but I, I, I always use a sign up sheet of some sort, uh, some sort of list that lets me know that I've gotten to everybody that needs to be there. Um, the worst thing in the world would be to leave a thing delivering the photos whenever you're done editing them and then having them say, where are these three people? Uh, <laughs> Okay, I guess I have to come back and this is technically my fault because I didn't account for it. Right. For it. So, I I absolutely always have them have have a list of who I'm supposed to be shooting with. If it's a small company, I can have the person that's my point of contact write me a short list that day. Um if it's a larger company, then I like to have a list put together ahead of time. Um for for that I'm going to first just talk about like if it's a small company we'll say somewhere between 3 and 10 people um that that shorter list I will just have the first person whoever wants to go first I'll have them come in and when I'm done shooting with them I say hey can you go tap so and so on the shoulder and tell them to come in right. there's usually a bit of wait time in between those so if I was if it was a, a small medium sized company where it's between you know 10 and 20 people I might do the same thing have the list made ahead of time and then say, Hey, can you go tap uh, Joe on the shoulder and tell him it's his turn and then tell Sandy that she's going to be next, next after that. So at least people are ready Uh at that point and have, have the point of communication happen at two different points. Um, But I, I like to have some sort of list that I I'm able to work through for smaller companies for larger companies. I usually like to break down or at this point we're talking anywhere between, you know, 30 and 200, 300 people that I might be doing in a day. What I like to do is I will break down the day or I'll tell the person that I'm talking with, Hey, let's break down the day into 20 minute time slots. And then I will just divide out how many people I have to get through that day and divide them into those 20 minute slots and then have an email go out to the entire company. This takes prep and planning. This can't happen the day of this has to happen weeks ahead of time so everybody knows a it's picture day but b when they're supposed to show up for their pictures um and just let them sign up because people everybody's day in a business is going to look a little bit differently some people would prefer getting in there first thing in the morning because they're dreading having this done some people are dreading having it done so they're like i just want to push it to the last thing that i do today so i'm just done with all the the silliness of my day and i can just go home um let them sign up for their time slot. You'll find people are actually much more on time when they've selected a time slot. And in that instance, it's a 20 minute period where I might have, I don't know, five people, 10 people that come up and they don't all come up. If it, if their time slot starts at 1030, they're not going to be there at 1030 on the dot, but you'll have one person that shows up and then you'll have a little line that forms, but that way you're not working through a line of 50 people that you're just panicked trying to get through. (laughs) I'm working with five to 10 people and I can really take my time. And you'll notice almost any office I've ever been to, the person that knows that they're going to take a little bit longer, puts themselves towards the back of their line. So they're they're like, "Eh, I know that I'm going to need a few more minutes. The person that 
and is like, I just want to get this done as quickly as possible, <laughs> wants to be in the door first in their time slot. So I'll, I'll give myself a 20 minute time slot if I have between, you know, five, 10, 20 people, however many people I have in there, I know exactly how much time I have to work with them on average. And it usually ends up working out very well where the, a, a few people come in, I'm taking four shots of them, they'll pick one and they're gone. And for people that are going to need a little bit more time, I now have the whatever the three minutes that I was going to take for Joe. I actually took 30 seconds with him. I can actually allocate those three minutes to the other person that's going to take a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. And it ends up that I have plenty of time throughout the day to do that. And you're, you're tracking them then because you want to make sure you got everybody, but you're not, yes. gonna, or you're not doing anything like naming the file name to their name or, or anything like that. Now, now, here's the thing. If we're going to be talking about specifically what Shannon's situation is, no, I wouldn't. Um, I might have them put a number next to it. So I would just say uh, I'll keep track of how many people I have throughout the day. And, you know, the last person was 15. I'll say, hey, can you sign next to your name and put the number 16? So I know who and what order I have there. So I could then rename it later if I need to. Uh-huh. Um Oftentimes, the person that I'm handing them off to, they know all the people in sure, their company, sure. so it's not too much of a concern. It's usually an HR person or somebody like that. Um, but I, I prefer to name things right then when I can, and I will do that because I tether as I'm shooting headshots to a computer. I have them select their photo, and once they've selected their photo, I have them type their name in as the uh, renamed file name. Um, that's that's a personal preference there, but um, okay. yeah, I... I don't think that it's necessarily something that you absolutely have to do. I haven't done that forever. If you couldn't tether, which yeah. is, you know, that's not part of the gear we have here. So if you can't tether, how are you going to have them be involved in picking their photo? Do you, would you have them come around to the back of the camera and take a look at the photos? I, I suppose you could do that. You could have them look at the back of the photo. The, the problem with that is it's much harder for you to tell if you've missed focus. It's much harder for you to eliminate shots where you say uh-huh. eh, you definitely don't want that. I'm not going to let you pick that. Right. Um, <laughs> what I might do instead. I don't know that I've actually ever done this because I've always tethered with headshots. <laughs> um, but what I might do instead is I would go through, call all of the images after I got home from for the day and then just send everything over and say, Hey, these are not the finalized images. I just want people to, to pick out which one they want. So send me a list of file name or file numbers uh-huh. from everybody's selection. If somebody says that they don't care, um, they have do them write it. down the, the stretch that their files are numbered, whatever, you know, from uh-huh. 15 to 25 were the shots that you took of me um, and pick whichever one you want. I would have them do something like that. So I had a list of what photo everybody wanted. I've also just gone through and said, hey, I'm the professional here. I'm I'm going to pick out the best photo of each person. And I've picked each one. The problem with that is you definitely end up having some people say, well, I don't like the photo that yeah, you chose right. of me. Can I look at the other ones that I have? And it ends up resulting in a lot more back and forth to get everything finalized. Um, so I might find a way where I could have them pick from the options that we shot. And how do you exchange the photo? Like, like if you're going to, and you don't do tethered, so you're going to do the proofing process with the clients. How yeah. are you, are you emailing just like attaching the images to an email and sending it to them? Yeah, you know, I'd probably just export a smaller resolution file and put it in Dropbox and send them a Dropbox link and say, hey, have everybody, you can send this out to your company, anyone can view it with this link, just have them go in and pick out the number. I would do something like that. Okay. 
All right, very good. And how many picture pictures are you taking of each one? Are you going to take two, three, four, just to make sure, like, if focus was a problem on one, you have another choice or something like that? Uh, the the way that I like to work, if it's me, I I. Uh, can I just give you my spiel as as if you were a person that walked through the door? Yeah. I feel like that's that's the best oh, way. Oh, sure, me to talk sure. About okay, this. let's do that. So I'd be like, "Hey there, how how are you doing? My name's Connor." You'd say, "My name's Jeff." <laughs> I'd say, "Hey Jeff, how are you doing today?" All right, I I just want to let you know a little bit about the process that we have going on today. So so I'm gonna have you sit down right here on this seat here. I'm gonna stand over here. I'm gonna take some photos. They're gonna show up on the computer. So I'm gonna take somewhere between five to ten photos, and then we're gonna stop. We're gonna go look at them. And if you hate the photo, that's absolutely okay. You're allowed to dislike the photo. The one caveat that I have to that is that you have to tell me what you hate about it. So I can either tell you if I can fix it in post or if we can fix it right now in camera. How's that sound to you? Okay. You say good. I'll take five to 10 photos. It just kind of depends on when I feel like I've gotten a good photo. Um, so realistically, I'll, I'll take four pictures of some people and I'll take 30 of another person uh. um, because it just depends on that person's interaction, that person's uh, feelings. If I wasn't tethering, if I wasn't showing them images, yeah. I might still just quickly let them look through the back of the camera. So we say, hey, we're not picking the photo right now. I just want to make sure that you see something in there that you think you're going to be happy with at the end of the day, um, you'll be able to pick the finalized photo later. I'd want some sort of confirmation that they've seen the photo and that they're comfortable with it um, before they walk away. Right. Okay. Um, and just another little suggestion I'd add in here is if you don't have a portal, like you don't have a laptop and those can get really expensive if you, if you want to, if yeah. like, as far as gear goes, a cheaper option it's not totally cheap, but a cheaper option <laughs> would be something like a, a really the the smallest iPad that's offered, and yeah. then use that to just you know connect Wi-Fi to your camera. Most current cameras ha- have that, and and then use that to really kind of show them so that they can still stay in the chair. That's a helpful thing to have them be able to just sit there, not have to stand up and walk around to the back of the camera because then you kind of lose where they were sitting and how they were posed, and uh, and then they, they, you can review it with them. And uh, that would just be another option that that is worth looking into, especially if you're going to do this much. If you're going, if you really want to get into corporate headshots, then that's a step. You probably better to get to the the tethered option. That's going to be good. definitely so. But yeah. um, if, and, if that's and too expensive, with, that's an with option. Any kind of Wi-Fi tethering, yeah, you inevitably will have connectivity issues. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I have the ability to do Wi-Fi tethering with my camera. I still choose a corded option. Sure. And even even if the cord is starting to fail, it's faster for me yep. to just pull the card out, upload really quickly, and have them choose from that um, rather than than specifically going through Wi-Fi. But that's that's maybe a personal preference thing. <laughs> um, okay. I, I think having the ability to show photos, if you're looking to go into this for more than just a, a single shoot once in a while if you're looking to make this a part of your business it's important to be able to tether and and finding some option is definitely um, i I wouldn't say an absolute necessity but it really makes your life a lot easier you mentioned offering the the possibility that you might fix something in post yes what kinds of things would you tell them you would fix in post well the the thing is oftentimes you'll have somebody say hey you know i really uh i just hate the photo. And I say, okay, what is it that you hate about it? And they say, well, I have a lot of wrinkles now. I'm old. That's not something I can fix with posing. And realistically, that's not something that I will do a ton to fix in Photoshop right. in post. Uh, but, but I will tell people, you know, 
you are the way that you are. However, um, it is always my my drive to flatter a person. And as such, I will reduce the appearance of some of those aging factors. Um, something if somebody had a zit and they're like, yeah. well, I hate it because I have this big zit or I have a cold sore right now. I'd say, really, don't worry about that. I it, can fix that. It's little to no work on my end. And if that's the difference between you loving and hating this photo, I'm happy to take a moment to do that. Okay. Honestly, with the wrinkles, it's it's a really quick process that I'm not I'm not doing high-end retouching on to clean something like that up. I'm I'm essentially just doing a very fast clone out completely and then reducing the opacity of the layer. So I just reduce how dark the shadows are that are cast from any kind of wrinkle. Well, uh, now with the new Lightroom slider with this texture slider, you can just use that. So yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> it's, it's something like that is is actually a really great option. Yeah. Um, and th- the things that I would say, let's fix it now here is if the hair was wrong, if the hair is put in a, in a weird place and they say, otherwise, I really like this. Uh-huh. I like my smile and whatnot. I'd say, all right, that's great. Like we can definitely get the smile. We can get everything else there. Let's fix the hair right now. Um, I'm not talking about a flyaway. I'm talking about if if it's a woman and her hair is back and she says, oh, I'd rather have it over my shoulder. It's way more difficult for me to try <laughs> right. and fix that in post than it is for me to just take another couple shots with her fixing her hair. Um, but I just try and play that game of don't don't say that you'll fix everything in post. Don't say that you'll well, just don't set yourself up to have a lot of post-processing work. But there are some things where it's like, realistically, there's no way for me to fix this here while we're sitting. Um, you know, if somebody says, I have a little bit of a double chin yeah. and I'd like to reduce that, you can say, all right, this is a posing and post-processing right, thing. Right. So let's pose you a little bit better. And if that's still not enough, then maybe I can do a little bit to post-process that. But um, that's that also, it's something that I'm always wary of in giving advice because everybody's abilities in terms of post-processing vary for me i'm competent and confident that i can get pretty much whatever i need done done but i think a lot of people are not going to want to or not going to be able to do that so i would say do your best to get it right in camera okay how about just basic tips on the posing because that's going to be an important aspect yeah with with the shot so and most of these people have no experience in getting themselves posed how are you instructing them? How are you helping them to get into a good pose? Yeah. Um, so I, I always actually bring a stool uh, with me instead of having relying on any kind of seating uh-huh. in the studio or not, not studio in the offices. <laughs> yeah. So I'll bring a stool with me and some gaffers tape and I will put gaffers tape on the ground that is just like your standard school photos from when you were a kid yep. that has a little T for you to put your feet on. Um, and I will tell a person, Hey, okay, I want you a little bit off axis. You can look down at the ground. You don't have to put your feet perfectly on the line. This is just to give you an indication of roughly where I want your feet. Okay. That gets them a little bit off axis. So they're not facing directly on onto the camera. Um, then have them turn. And I usually like to shoot headshots with face directly towards the camera. Uh-huh. Um, so I will tell, tell a person, Hey, bring your nose and point it right at me. Uh-huh. Okay. So they're now almost not quite looking over their shoulder, but they're looking more over their shoulder than they are straight. And then I will often have oftentimes have a person lean from the hip just slightly towards me. Um, so I, I this is something that is really important to kind of bend at the hip and show them what you mean. And I, I like to to just kind of um, bully people around, I guess, is a nice way to put it. A mean way to put it. I, I, I tell per, a person, okay, I want you to turn your head just a little bit, a little bit up too much. Go back the other end. Uh-huh. And and I'll, I'll just get them to move just slightly a little bit. So they learn that, hey, like if there's something wrong 
Um, this is more of a psychological thing, but they'll, they'll learn that if there is something wrong, this guy is going to correct it because he's correcting me down to the point of moving my head a couple of millimeters right, right. and saying that one is perfect and the other was not. Um, but I, I'll just get them roughly in the right position where their their shoulders are off from me, head is towards me, and then leaning just slightly from the hip so that their head is uh, their face is closer to the camera than the rest of their body. It tends to be a little bit slimming, and I mean just a little bit. Uh-huh, um, right. We've all seen photos of realtors that are like leaning super hardcore, like kind of '90s b boy stance style. <laughs> um, with a suit jacket. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a very subtle lean towards the camera. Okay. Now we, we talked about the positioning of the lights, but we didn't talk about the positioning of the camera itself. How are you going to set that up um, with, in relation to, you know, most of the people and you want to set it once and not touch it again. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, in general, like I, I move around, so I'll, I'll vary a little bit from person to person, but in general, I like to have the person's face at the, the person's nose being there 12 o'clock. I have to, I want to have that light somewhere around there 1230 and I want to be shooting somewhere right around there 12. Uh-huh. And does up, that make sense? How about up and down? Like even with their eyes, even with their nose, where do you um, height wise of the camera? Um, uh, Ooh, that's hard to say. I, I would say that I'm usually even to maybe just slightly higher than their eyes. I don't want to be really shooting down on them, um, but I also don't want to shoot up on them. I would rather lean a little bit towards shooting down on them. So going eyes and then maybe focusing on eye and recomposing towards the nose, if that makes sense Uh with my center dot. Okay. Um, So I, I want to be shooting downwards just a little, little bit. Okay. All right. And do you have them turned the same direction? You you have them turn a little bit off so their shoulders are not square. Yes. Do you have them all turn in the same direction? Yes, I do. Yeah. Um, I do that because I want to stay consistent from person to person right. all along the board. I want I want there to be consistency across the business. I have some businesses that a part of the reason that I got the job was that I was able to show that I could recreate the exact same look day in day out i could come back in fact they have me come back about once a month to once every other month um, because they hire new staff on a pretty regular Uh basis and i will go back and reshoot the exact same setup that i started shooting with them now two years ago and and being able to have that consistency is really important some businesses won't care quite so much but i i think that it's important so i will always have them face the same direction if a person asks to be faced the other direction if I have the time to do it, if I'm not, if I'm not stacked with a few hundred people in a day, I might let them do that and let them know, Hey, that's fine. However, you just need to be aware that I'm going to flip you. And because I want you looking consistent with the rest. Uh, of Okay. Of You're going to mirror image, which tends to look more funny than just being on the yes. right side. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. So it, it's not a perfect match even still. Yeah. Um, but usually I've, I've found that businesses tend to be it's not so far off that it's right. weird. It's not like there are words in the background that are then getting flipped. Um, but I, I, I'm, I would say maybe one in every four or 500 people will ask specifically to, to face the other direction. Sure. Okay. Well, I think we went through, uh, we, we, we've got a good episode here that we, <laughs> we went through a lot of, a stuff lot of there. information there. <laughs> yeah. A lot of detail. And hopefully that's going to be helpful to Shannon and anyone else that wants to get into corporate headshots. And, and even if it's not corporate, you're not going to do it a ton of it. I've, I've had lots of people, I've had people want uh, like social media profile pictures 
or uh, another one was passports. And that's a little bit different because you have really specific dimensions that you have to meet. Yeah. And that's been kind of interesting to, to figure out how to, to make that work. But um, yeah, that's an, a, a little bit different because of the dimensions that you have to meet, but not, not a lot different. And, and these tips would help with, with all of that. Just be aware with port, with passport photos. You got to go make sure you're very aware of the proportions you have to meet. Um, yeah. They're really strict that actually reminds me, I totally need to go take my own passport photo this week. So <laughs> thanks, Jeff. I, I've created a little template for myself to make sure that I, in Photoshop, that I can get them just right yeah. how it's supposed to be but uh maybe i'll i'll see if i can share that somehow with our show notes. <laughs> but uh anyway uh to- a little bit different but it, even if you're not doing corporate headshots that was my point there's individual portraits with just head and shoulders is a need all the time so uh, yeah. so it's good for for any photographer to kind of know what to do it's a good way to make some some money really quickly um yeah do definitely that. All right, let's do our doodads of the week. I'm going to start off. Um, Connor, did you pick one yet? Uh, yes, I did. Okay, so I'm I'm starting off with the, um, I don't know how you pronounce it. Um, I'm not sure the name brand itself is really important, but this it's the Nonda USB Type-C to USB 3.0 mini adapter. Uh, I got a new MacBook Pro. I didn't want to, but I spilled water on the old one, so I had to get a new one. And uh, and there's no, only USB-C ports, and I have lots of USB 3.0, USB-A kind of connectors. And uh, so these have been really helpful. They're 8 bucks a piece, which is a little more than I would like to pay, but they're really good. These are high quality. They, they uh, support super speed, you know, make the full USB speed there. And uh, they're really tiny, so you can just, like, add it onto the end of your USB device, and then it plugs in the USB Type-C port, and it's it's great. I love it. It's It's a really nice little adapter for it plus it matches the aesthetics it's got it's like a gray um piece that looks like it came from apple so it's, it's a yeah. nice one it's a, a good choice what do you have connor um well mine is one that i assume most people have already heard of but i just want to re-endorse it it's the peak design capture uh so the the original capture clip was uh, a, a nice design however they came out with a, a second version of it i think this last year maybe early 2018. Um, the, the It's still just called the capture, but it's just a little clip that you can put on a belt, on a bag, and then have a little sliding plate that is Arca-Swiss uh, compatible. And it's a little sliding plate that you can just cap, uh, clip on in and use it as kind of a holster. I have holster type units that I'll use for busy, busy events, but every once in a while I like to go out and have my camera by my side without having to carry my whole camera bag. And this thing is awesome for being able to just clip onto whatever belt that I happen to be wearing at the time uh, to carry my camera around. Oh, very nice. Okay, we want to remind everyone you can find everything about the show over at masterphotographypodcast.com. Just searchable show notes, so not just this episode, but anything that we've done. We have a lot of show notes. We put a lot of time into those, so so go check those out. Uh, Facebook group, Master Photography Podcast. We'll put a link in the show notes to that group. You got to ask to join as we talked about. There's an Instagram account for the show. It's Master Photography Podcast. So we'd love to have you uh, follow the show and and uh, tag the show on any of the photos that you may be. If you've taken some really cool corporate headshots, tag us and love to see those. You can find my work at jsharmanphotos.com or the other podcast I do on photography is called Photo Taco. We're going to dive into that texture slider very shortly over on that podcast. So look out for that. Um, all of the links to Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for my personal stuff, you can find there on the show notes too. Connor, where can people find you? 
Uh, you can find my work at my website, connorhibs.photography, or you can find me on Instagram at connorhibsphotography. You can also listen to the other show that I am a host on, Portrait Session Podcast. You can find that at portraitsessionpodcast.com. Very good. All right. We hope that you enjoyed this episode, everybody, and we'll see you again in another seven days. 